0: Hey, hi, I'm Bonnie. Welcome to this podcast, Make Joy Normal, where we chat about homeschooling and family life. With my co-hosts, Elizabeth and Christina, we address your questions and topics in a way that can create more joy in our lives. Please submit any questions you have by email or voice message in the links in the show notes. If you found this episode valuable, please share it with a friend, like, or leave us a review. That's how we get the word out. Thanks for trying to make joy normal in your own life. There we go. I wanted to say welcome to my listeners and welcome to my guest today, who is Julia, and she's a listener of mine who's bringing questions to me today, so I'm really excited about that. Welcome, Julia.
1: Thank you, Bonnie. I've been such a fan of yours for so long, so it's such an (laughs) honor to be on the other side of
0: it. It's cool. It's very cool for me to have been uh, meeting some listeners now in person, right? I had somebody actually, we're going to start, uh, start doing this on the podcast, somebody actually sent me a voice message saying, I hear your voice all the time. I thought maybe it'd be good for you to hear mine. So she submitted her questions by voice memo. And we thought, hey, why don't we do this? So we're going to work out a way of putting that into the podcast so that people can actually leave me voicemails, (laughs) which would be super fun. Yeah. So I was hoping that maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your family before we get started.
1: Yeah. Um, My name is Julia. Um, We live in Franklin, Tennessee. And I'm a new homeschooling mom. My oldest is just about to be six. Uh, That's Cecilia. And then I have a four-year-old who is Noelle. And a two-year-old, almost two-year-old, Mary. And then pregnant and due imminently. Oh, gosh, I didn't know. Okay. Okay,
0: Okay. and do you know if this is a girl?
1: This is a girl, Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) It's fun. It's fun having the two-year guys.
0: Yeah, it's a um, it's a busy time of life for sure.
1: Right, it really is. Yeah, but yeah, so that's why I, I feel like I have so many questions about homeschooling because I haven't Getting really been started. doing it officially. Like I've been interested in it for years. It was even when I was working full time that I started to become interested in homeschooling, and that was when my really? oldest was probably a year old, and I was pregnant with my second. And I wow. was just kind of exploring Catholic Instagram and seeing these moms who are homeschooling. And I was definitely attracted to the beauty and the freedom of homeschooling while I was so not free, <laughs> tied to a, a like intense job. Yeah. When my second was born, and ended up not going back to work. My oldest was so young at the time, so I wasn't really homeschooling. But I was just always kind of had that in the back of my mind and... It, it was really interesting, especially when 2020 came and the pandemic and all of a sudden homeschooling became almost mainstream. <laughs> so it really has been awesome yeah. to see. And I haven't been an active participant in that journey yet. But yeah. it's been really cool to yeah. see how before when I would tell people, oh, I'm thinking about homeschooling, it was met with, you know, shutters and a lot of questioning versus now it seems you know, everyone knows someone who's homeschooling, which is kind of interesting.
0: Exactly, and I think that because of the pandemic, people who never imagined homeschooling uh, started to sort of a uh, consider it as a as a viable option, uh, but also to to realize, you know, that it that it has its challenges, and um, you know, people homeschooling aren't just you know sitting around with their kids. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's been good for everybody, um, you know, to kind of bring bring homeschooling to the forefront for sure. So, so you had some questions that you had emailed me, and I thought, oh, maybe you'd like to just bring them to the show because I, I'm really loving doing yeah. this. You know, you know, once every month or two, I'd love to just right. have a, a listener bring their questions in. So, yeah. So, do you want to just sort of start with your questions you initially emailed me? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yes. Yes, that's perfect. Um, okay. So my six year olds. She's almost six, and so she would technically be going into kindergarten this year. And she already knows how to read, actually, in large part because (laughs) we did some dictation over the past year, which uh, obviously I learned from you. But I was still kind of having this feeling of not knowing, should I go through a formal learn-to-read curriculum Mm -hmm. with her just to get the foundation of phonics um, more set? Right. Or is that pretty much a waste of time and that's going to be boring for us both?
0: Right. I mean, my my gut reaction is that would just be epic boring for both of you. Um, You know, (laughs) but that doesn't mean we don't continue to teach them language arts, right? Because, of course, language arts goes way beyond just initial phonics. I mean, not that there might might be parts that are interesting for you to do together, but because if she's a fluent reader already... uh, If you could sort of imagine, say, for example, you've been driving for X amount of years, right? If somebody said, okay, now, okay, I understand that you're you're a fluent driver, but I'm going to go through and teach you all the elements of driving because I think it's really, really important that you understand the theory behind this, right? It would be tedious for sure, right? And there's most things like that are tedious. Now, there are some of us who are... You know, right. sort of like grammar geeks or whatever, who who like to find out all those little details about uh, about language and about uh, words or about driving or about our car or whatever. We want to know all the details, and that's interesting and fun. But for for most people, that would present itself as a really obvious thing because they're going to just keep saying why. So, say for example, you're teaching your child sort of. Uh, you're doing dictation with them and you're talking about more advanced language skills. I think the example that I sent you actually was the word psych, like with a, the prefix psych, you know, P-S-Y-C-H. So a six-year-old isn't going to know what that says, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. at seven or at eight or whatever, even at six, they might say, you know, well, what is this? They're really advanced six, uh, six-year-old. 6 You might say, well, that, that set of letters says psych and let's find out why. Right. Why does what does that prefix mean? Why is it spelled that way? That doesn't seem to make any sense in English. Chances are pretty good. I don't actually know because I haven't looked it up, but chances are pretty good that it's come from some other language so that it then would make sense when we sort of anglicize the word, we keep this set of letters that makes a really unusual sound uh, and not what we would typically mm. look at as a, as an English word. So we keep learning language arts. And there are many, many examples like that, um, some of them less sort of complex or or um, bizarre, really, as P-S-Y-C-H. But we keep teaching them language arts. If you have a child who is like, wow, this is the coolest thing, and they want to know the etymology of every single word that comes across their Desk, then then that's the direction you go with them. Not all kids are going to want to do that, but uh, that's a really fun exercise. My oldest was like that. We got we started off with a really good etymological dictionary. It was the World Book two big two volume dictionary, so that we could actually look up every single word and what language it came from. You know, and that was fun for her. Lots of my kids that wasn't fun for them, so they just wanted to know how to spell the word properly. <laughs> keep learning language arts, and I think, I think what happens is like a kid that's a fluent reader is going to continue mm. just learning language arts at a really advanced pace in general. Other kids are going to eventually <laughs> can, catch up to them, but right. uh, they're going to keep, you know, at an advanced pace because they can already read, so they can read the information that they that they want to know. So it can get you into um, things like punctuation and, you know, when to capitalize properly, how to address in the letter. You know, there's so so many language skills that we can use that are advanced that we can learn via dictation uh, without sort of holding us back in any way. In most cases, a book that's going to be teaching her to read are they go- it's going to be at a level below where where she's at right that doesn't mean there won't be some interesting facts in it right um i'd be more inclined if you did get a sort of a learn to read program just kind of leave it laying around and if she wants to flip through it you know and read it to herself then she's she's free to do that one of the things like you've probably heard me mention this but there's the usborne makes a a little book right. on learning grammar and punctuation uh, I think it's called the Osborne Book of Grammar Punctuation or something like that. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, but it's a great book sort of written for kids. Uh, like I've did it with some of my kids, but then I also um, some of them I you know they just picked it up and it was lying around and they read great swaths of it because they were interested. Mm-hmm. And that's just great. a really great way of learning some of the rules that maybe are great. are more obscure. Right, some of the rules we kind of know, uh, and also having a book, sort of a learn to read book, if it if it addresses punctuation and grammar, capitalization, that sort of thing, the the nice part about having that nearby is that you can look things up if you don't actually know. Well, how do we use a semicolon, or how do we use an exclamation mark, or why do we put this uh, comma here and not here? Uh, then you might have something to to be able to refer to with your daughter. That is helpful. Yeah, and for me, I I had uh, a dictionary at the time that had all that information at the beginning of it, like sort of grammar and punctuation, capitalization rules. So that was really helpful. Now there's a lot of stuff on Pinterest, and I have um on my Pinterest page I have a uh what do you call a page of Pinterest uh, a something <laughs> whatever it is my uh, a page that is um. A board, yeah, right. that uh, is all dictation helps. And it's all these incredibly creative moms who've made freebies. And they're just things that you can print off and keep by you about grammar, punctuation, uh, usage, contractions, things, are different aspects of language. And you could put that together in your own book or post them, you know, if you have space on your wall to post them around your area that you do dictation. Uh, that's, that's really helpful, right? Do.
1: What do you think that using... It- Teaching her now about nouns, verbs, all of that sounds, it's right timing. Oh,
0: absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and if she's, if she, you're going to know she's not ready because she'll shut down, mm-hmm. right? And I'm just not ready for that information. If she's a fluent reader, she's probably totally ready for that okay. information. There's a really fun book of games. Have you heard of Mad Libs?
1: Yes, yes.
0: Okay, so okay. Mad Libs is a kind of a fun way to introduce that, that is, right? Yeah, but dictation, yeah. of course, you know, can you pick out the verbs? Can you pick out the p- different parts of speech? You know, they, that may even lead to, say you start with verbs, because we often do, and you get them to start picking out the verbs in, in their dictation. They will probably naturally say, well, what kind of word is that? What kind of word is castle? You know, what kind of, w-? and so that's really fun when they start asking themselves so that you can go right. down those uh, trajectories so that you you can explore things but it's really uh, their own interest that's that's bringing you to that place.
1: I, um, I actually was reading a book that started with nouns so it's interesting that you say that starting with verbs is probably easier you think?
0: Well that's an interesting question because uh, nouns are the most identifiable and nouns definitely for babies, they start with nouns, right? When they start right. speaking, they're pointing to things, objects, and naming them, right? right? So nouns might be the more natural place to start. Maybe because nouns, they already for my own kids, they already knew what nouns were because they're right. it's such a simple thing. So everywhere, yeah. yeah. That probably verbs was the next thing we went to because I don't remember a lot of times saying. Can you pick out the nouns in a sentence? But I do remember saying, "Can you great. pick out the verb? Can you pick out the article?" You know, that sort of thing.
1: Okay, great. That's so helpful to me. Um, there is this kind of pressure to among homeschooling moms, especially young ones I think who are just starting out, mm-hmm. to kind of share the curriculum you're using and just compare notes because everyone's trying to figure out what the best what the best path yeah. is. It's so helpful to hear you say these yeah. things to really kind of constantly remind yourself you don't need a boxed curriculum for every aspect of homeschooling, and uh, mm-hmm. that's just been such a gift to remember at times. Yeah,
0: it was interesting because I when I was I was thinking about you. I was driving down the road the other day, and I was sort of thinking about okay, what do you know? What do we say then if we feel a bit of pressure? If this is new for us, and we feel some pressure, people around us, or oh, we use X or we use you know whatever curriculum that what can you say, um, you know, and one of the things that you can say is, well, I've developed my own curriculum for language arts based on the model approach to writing. So that's one thing that you could say, right, the model right. approach to language arts. And, and so if somebody wants to know more, oh, okay, well, you can explain what dictation is and how it looks. But the other thing that you can say is, well, we use the Socratic method. That means that I'm not actually using a curriculum, but we come to know truth and understand things through questioning. So that's a that's a really thorough answer. (laughs) Right. Right? And so even if you're only doing that for language arts or you're doing that for history or whatever subjects you can say that, well, we approach many of our subjects uh, through the Socratic method and we come to know truths by questioning. That's a that's a really good thing for you to be able to say and also for you to have a hook to hang on yourself. Like, okay, what do we do? You know, what is it we do? That's what you do. And it doesn't mean that you can't use curriculum. If you love that idea, that you can't use curriculum to support that or books to support that. But it really changes the nature of how you think about education, I think.
1: Right. I also found that dictation just in the past, easy in the past year with my five-year-old at the time. um, It was just so efficient. I mean, you could just do something that took five or ten minutes and I felt like we were going. As, I mean, I know she is gifted, and I'm lucky to have the oldest one be gifted in yeah. that way. I was just amazed by how quickly she she would pick up on things, just through a small, you know, portion of time. Maybe three days a week, you know, five ten minutes of just doing dictation. You cover so much ground, and you don't even.
0: It's amazing, yeah. And I, I I think it's underused for sure. Right. Because I just feel like it's so valuable. It really
1: was. For us, it was awesome. Um, I do think yeah. that there were times where even I'm not a very patient person naturally. So I think sometimes I would maybe right. push her beyond her limits. So sometimes she would kind of um, tell me she didn't want to sit down and do it and everything like that. But since right. I've been working on myself, it's it's been going smoother, which is funny, too. It's um, all about awesome. how yeah. you sit down and do it. too.
0: Yeah, it's so relational. And the other thing, too, is that when I do live workshops, I always present dictation first. And the reason I do that is because dictation was really the thing that laid the foundation for how I approached everything Mm. else. Because it was so obvious to me that sitting with our heads together and reading something together and writing it out and discussing it was just so unbelievably valuable. So why can't I take that to novels or geography or social studies or whatever we're doing that there's just this very sort of intentional um, taking a look at what's in front of you and asking the questions and answering the questions and looking up the information. And that really set me on a path that, you know, made our homeschooling what it was, right?
1: Right. I was going to ask you that. So, because so much of, I think, of going a little bit less heavy on the curriculum is a confidence issue. Because I think that when you're starting Mm -hmm. out, you know, it's just because you're nervous that you're not going to do a good job, you want to have all the preparation available, so you go out yeah. and buy all the things. So how did yeah. you, in the beginning, go, yeah, I would love to hear a little bit more on, like, how you discovered this path for your family at the beginning.
0: Yeah, well, I read early on, I read uh, the little series of books by Ruth right. Beechick called The Three R's, right?
1: Have, have you read it? Yeah, it's wonderful. I really okay.
0: Yeah, now it's sold as one book on the three R's, but it has uh, language arts, reading, and arithmetic, and just her very, very lovely commentary on on how children learn and the everyday learning and natural learning that happened uh, in your day to day life just really resonated with me. Now I do I do dictation differently than she presents it. Uh, but that was sort of by trial and error for the first you know, few months. I, I did it the way she recommends, and then I thought, you know, I think pointing out the errors, it would just be easier to just coach so that every mm-hmm. single thing they do is correct so they learn it correctly the first time, and the, the reason why I thought that is because when I th- thought back to my own spelling errors and mathematical errors that I made when I was, you know, in elementary school, that I once I made an error and it was pointed out to me, I had a hard time sorting out what I was supposed because I remembered the error. So was that the wrong way or is that the right way? And okay. so I thought, you know, if we're just coached to do it the right way the, from the very first, it seems to me like that will stick
1: better. Right. And my oldest daughter is such a perfectionist that it kills her to have to erase anything anyway. So that has helped a lot too. In just before she writes anything down, you know, she can tell me what she thinks it is and then we can talk about it before she is putting the pencil to paper because sometimes she, you know, gets frustrated at herself even if it's the first time she's encountered a word or something. So I I found that that's helpful too.
0: She sounds very much like an oldest child. Yes, (laughs) Yes, she
1: very much is.
0: So, so I had started doing dictation with my oldest daughter and I was re- having this lovely experience. I was like, wow, this is such an amazing way to teach language arts and thinking about that. Uh, but then I think I've st- told this story in the podcast before, but it bears repeating because it was so good. So basically what happened was um, we, so she's in kindergarten and I'm really excited about homeschooling her and I have all these great ideas and all these things I want to do with her. I wasn't really looking at curriculum per se, but I was looking at, Uh, the ways that I can creatively teach her things. Her book of the moment was, um, uh, Are You My Mother, right? Dr. Seuss. And so, you know, it was the book that she wanted me. She read it over and over. I read it to her over and over. And she really loved that book. It was a daily a daily read for sure. So I thought, okay, this will be great. I can teach her all about reproduction. We can have all the science study. And I was pregnant with my second. And I can uh, teach her all about this, talking about chicks and eggs. And that's the door that I'll use. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get books on how chicks form inside an egg. I'm going to get uh, books on different kind of, you know, elementary school reproduction and, and the science of reproduction and a book on the human body and things like that. I was super excited to do this. And so I kind of gathered my resources and then one day, you know, she, she, um, this was my per- first really schooly thing I, <laughs> I was doing with her. She brought the book to me. She said, can we read, are you my mother? And I said, sure. I said, after we read, are you my mother? I something really <laughs> fun. I want to share with you. And so we read it and I said, do you ever wonder how the chick is formed inside the egg? Like the baby bird hatched in the nest. Do you ever wonder about that? And she said, mm, not really. And I said, Oh well it's really really interesting. She goes what I really wonder about is how the bird builds the nest. And that's really interesting. Like how does the how does the mother bird know how to put a nest together? And I was like, oh, well, that's a really interesting thing. But right now, um, you know, we're, I'd like to teach you about eggs because I have all kinds of books on this. It's really interesting. And she was sort of like, meh. <laughs> so I could feel myself, yeah, I could feel myself kind of getting agitated that she wasn't wanting <laughs> to learn the thing that I wanted to present to her, right? Well, isn't this sort of the the thing that our kids are you know, kind of irritated about in school or bored with because they're learning stuff they don't necessarily want to learn at that time. Now, sometimes they have to learn stuff that they're not all that interested in, and we can address that. But when they're little and we're trying to to really build up the love of learning and teaching them how to learn and, and what's exciting and how, how exciting the world around them is, we really need to take a look at that. And so, At some moment, so for about 20 minutes, I just had this sort of real agitation, like, oh, I had all this plan in place, and it was going to be so amazing, and she's just so not interested. You know, we sort of debated back and forth, and she said, do you have any books on how the birds build their nests? (laughs) I was like, no, I don't. But we had encyclopedias. And so I said, you know what, let's look that up. And so I just had this total brain shift in that moment of, you know what, it's exciting for her to learn this thing right now that she's really interested in and yeah. she's really going to learn it because uh, it's not foisting on her what I want her to learn. It's really coming from her. So that was a real moment of um, self-discovery for me. And as as I got older, as, the, as my kids got older, I realized that you can kind of lead that. You can kind of lead them down certain paths like when you're reading a storybook or a novel together and they show interest in something by the very fact that you choose a book, say, that's ba- set in the Middle Ages, they're going to naturally come become interested in things going on in the Middle Ages. Now, maybe one's going to be interested in clothes. One's going to be interested in farming. One's going to be interested in weapons. One's going to be interested in jousting. You know, but they're still kind of your interest is still being sort of channeled in a certain direction. And so as I had more kids, I recognized that this was something, okay, we can really channel this and choose books that sort of set us on different paths. And not every book we read was like that, but, you know, I would sort of choose a bit of a theme for a period of time, maybe half the year or the year, that we're going to talk about Canadian history, or we're going to choose books that are set in uh, the Roman Empire, you know, so that the questions and the interest was kind of being fed. Now, they were also being fed in with, you know, books they were reading to themselves or books maybe their dad was reading to them at bedtime or whatever. There's lots going on. But sort of what I felt was, you know, our homeschooling was primarily the books that were leading them down the path that that, uh, was of interest at that moment.
1: And so when you choose those books, would you choose something with a science theme in mind or a history theme? Or is it just good literature you wanted them to be exposed to and then wherever whatever rabbit hole they, you know, were interested in you went down? That's
0: a great question. We had so basically I, I would generally pick a historical era f- for the year. If they burned out of it after three months, I'm not going to keep sort of trying to flog them with it, but it generally didn't happen. So I would choose really good literature. So kind of both, my answer is kind of both and. We would choose really good literature that was representative of this historical era. Usually if there was science that came up in it, say for example, um, Roman aqueducts we would absolutely go down that path because not only is it history, it is also science, right? Why did a freshwater supply yeah. matter? How did they invent these things that provided with fresh, you know, them with fresh water? How did they have such advanced um, uh, engineering to be able to understand how to build aqueducts that would run for miles and miles and miles to bring water into a city? You know, those kinds of questions. So we'd absolutely explore the science and also the history at the same time. Often I would also have some sort of science book on the go. Uh, so say, for example, I might be reading them um, something about uh, simple machines, right? That would be a good choice to go along with something in the Roman Empire uh, so that I could say, oh, look right. how they employed this. So I might read five or ten minutes or one page of our science book or however long I felt they could they could. Um, sort of hang on for, right? Without overloading them with information. And then I would read them the novel. Right. So that was typically when we sat down at breakfast and lunch, we would read some sort of science book first or sometimes an art book or whatever different kinds of books. Sometimes it was a book about poetry. And then we would move on to the novel. So I would save the novel for last because that's really what they're waiting for. And the younger your kids are like, I probably introduced that when my oldest was, you know, eight or nine. So I would just start with a novel. You could even start with storybooks. If your kids aren't really at a novel place in their listening skills, you can start with just reading storybooks to them, so that they, you know, for me, that was over meals, so that they kind of get into this idea that, okay, this is what we do, right? So maybe at lunchtime, we sit and read, or at breakfast time, we sit and read, or right after lunch, we sit and read, that's our reading time together. And sort of developing those habits early on is a really good idea.
1: Would you recommend, you know, choosing a historical period for kids as young as mine, or would you almost just kind of... Keep having. I mean, you can have fun with it, but I guess my question is also in terms of having your oldest be. My oldest is six, as I was saying. So all of the rest of them are so young. So sometimes it feels like only the six and the four-year-olds are getting, obviously, going to get anything. You're out tracking, of it. kind of. But even yeah. so, I'm I'm still trying to figure out what's the balance between sitting and doing, evens more structured school versus hey this is a season where all my kids are young take advantage or is it both but i don't want to i don't want to you know lose these the skills of attention and and i do want to present beautiful ideas and history to them but they also feel so young and i'm really struggling with that balance
0: My inclination would probably be to start with social studies when kids are young is really about their neighborhood, their family, their immediate Uh, life and I mean you can even get out a map right and say oh you know this is where we live this is where grandma and grandpa live you know this is where your cousins live you know that kind of thing those are absolutely social studies activities just having conversation about when grandma was young or when I was young or whatever that's you know and getting to know their neighborhood that's social studies for very young kids History, I would pr- I would probably be inclined to wait a little bit, unless they're really showing a real interest in it. And again, you know, a trip to the library. If they're beelining for all the books, you know, set in the Middle Ages or in American history or whatever, if they're interested in those stories, then absolutely, you know, play with that. But they're probably not going to be able to do it for a year either. Like you might just read one book on American history, like an eyewitness book or something around you know, when I was Osborne, a children's book on on American history or uh, medieval right. history or whatever. My inclination would be to start with, the, there's just the really beautiful children's literature that's out there, uh, E.B. White's books and some of the longer storybooks that might take more than one day to read that, you know, you're only going to read a few pages at a time. The ones that come to mind for me are like, uh, she wrote a, a book called The Kitchen Knight, uh, Trina Hyman. Her books tend to be. She's an illustrator. Her books tend to be quite long, uh, really beautifully illustrated, uh, but maybe you only read two or three pages at a time, right? So that you're sitting down. Okay, this is our time that we read, and sort of establishing those routines is really the best, the best way we can sort of build uh, up to historical or uh sorry, more subject areas. I guess is what I'm trying to say that we sort of building up to subjects. You know, my kids didn't really know until they were much older that they were really learning history or science or whatever, because, because it was such a natural part of their life. Okay, we start off reading, you know, Stuart Little and, and Charlotte's Web and, you know, the beautiful liter- children's literature. There's so much beautiful children's literature out there, starting with that. And then we move into some book that uh, is equally as beautifully written, but it now it has this historical element to it. So the, it was such a gradual sort of shift And we always did, like we would always take breaks and read some books that were beautiful as they got older that weren't necessarily historical because the year that I was having babies, I would usually read something beautiful literature that I wasn't getting to because I was reading historical fiction. So like Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or, you know, some other, there's lots of other beautiful books that are not necessarily historical. We kind of tried to cover it all. And I think if we had done a historical period, I might take a break and then read them something else, you know, something that wasn't necessarily a history book. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. And then what is your opinion on the idea of doing science and teaching them about, you know, nests or birds versus outdoor play? Again, while they're relatively small and even just as you go, because... Sometimes you know you I you know have these grand ideas for nature outings, and then you don't really yeah. feel like they're learning a ton maybe it's because I don't know a ton really about right. um, as much as I would like to know, but I have all these like grand ideas, and then I'm nervous that they don't really know <laughs> anything about you know so.
0: well I think in a, I think in a sense that you if if you combine those two things, like read a storybook about birds you know read there's my daughter just picked up a book i have to ask her the name of it and i'll put it in the show notes but she picked up a book and there's apparently a series um on they're kind of science books but they're written like storybook right so one is all about butterflies and that was the one that she happened to pick up and it was really beautiful beautifully written beautifully um illustrated there's a book uh called i think it's called the colors of the rainbow or, or God's Colors of the Rainbow by Paul Thigpen, that like you could totally work into a science study. So so you read it to your books. It's a beautifully written book. The kids would probably just pick it up as one of their books that they like you to read. And then one day when you see a rainbow, oh, look, yeah. what's happening there? It's actually happening. What's happening? And the thing is, they might just say, oh, it's a rainbow and not be interested at all in discussing it further. But one day they will say, well, how do the colors separate like that? What's happening when you see a rainbow? What's going on there? So, you know, the first few years, science is just really right. asking questions, right? And so I think, you know, science curriculum, and I understand what you're saying about you feel like you're not doing enough because uh, because when you're out for a nature walk, maybe you're not talking about the bugs and the trees and various other things. But if you are reading about those things, sort of... Okay alongside of also going out for nature walks, the questions will arise and you don't need the answers. I mean, if you just point things out, it's like, oh, look, this shape, this leaf is shaped like this and this leaf is shaped like this. Hmm, I wonder why. And that's all you need to say. Just have them observing, right? And kind of pointing things out. Now kids tend to be very observant. So if you're just talking about things like, why is that tree green? And it's December, and that tree doesn't have leaves anymore. So
1: would th- would you then go home and then, like, you would recommend looking up in the encyclopedia or just even letting those questions percolate because that's what science says?
0: Just, just percolate. Like, say, for example, you got home. You were talking about the, the shape of leaf or you saw a certain um, nest and you got home and you think, oh, I wonder what that was. Right. I mean, you, just your own curiosity, allow that to unfold and and look it up and say, look, this looks just like the nest that we saw. It says it's a nest of a robin or, or whatever. They might go, oh, look, and, and they want to look at all the nests. And they might just say, hmm, okay, and, and wander off. When they're young, we just kind of work with what is, right? And again, when you're saying mm-hmm. if you feel like it's only the four and six-year-old that are kind of engaged in when you're reading... It's amazing how much your younger kids will take in without you even realizing it. Uh, I always just had toys in in our reading area so that they could just kind of wander about and play with things or play Play Play-Doh or whatever while I was reading. And it was remarkable. And one day, they're suddenly, they're just listening to the story. And it just happens so naturally. You're not just saying, okay, now you're old enough now. You have to sit there. You know, you have to listen to the story. They're engaged because it's interesting.
1: Right. And you're creating a family culture.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's really it's really both and again that we we read to them, we point things out to them, we ask them questions. Look where the sun is, look at, and even if you ask them two or three questions every time you were outdoors, just to prompt their observational skills, like, oh look the dirt over here is brown and the dirt at our house is kind of red. Isn't that funny?
1: Mm.
0: Right? Does it feel different? Hmm. That's funny. That's all you know. That's so. So it's just observing, and kids tend to be really observant. They tend to hone in on what they are interested in, you know. Which, if they're little, is usually water. (laughs) So if they see, uh, you know, water trickling down a hill, it's like, oh look, I wonder, the wonder how, where the water's coming from, right? (laughs) And just that's all you need to do is wonder.
1: That's great. And then um, another question I have is, I want to kind of add in, you know, beautiful art and music without having it be this thing where once again we're at the kitchen table and you know there might be getting antsy and I'm like let's talk about this you know piece of music and it's just so forced you know because they're just at capacity because you know I do think it's important to try to fit in some kind of math and dictation every day but then by that point with all the little ones interrupting it's already been you know an hour and a half or <laughs> however much so I you know I don't I don't wanna overdo it but I also would I'd want to expose them to these things. So do you think you know does it I don't wanna is a silly word to say does it count, but you know does it count just having it on? Or you know
0: Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yes. You know when we're exposed to beauty we absorb beauty. Absolutely especially at their ages. Even if they just listen to it and one day they did music lessons down the road, they might just stop and think, oh, wait, I've heard this before. You know, where did this come from? But I would say absolutely have beautiful music that they can listen to. As they get a little bit older, there's actually some beautiful, like, uh, classical music things that they can listen to where there's also commentary Well, they'll play a piece of music and they'll say, you know, this was done by this composer and, you know, he lived in this era and just sort of a, a an interesting little um, tidbit. When yeah. my daughter was about six, there's also like a Spot the Difference art series. Super nice. Now, you know, it's not something you have to do now, but it is the kind of thing that if you just have nice yeah. art books laying around, there are children's art books there are, and but you don't have to use them. You just have to have them laying around, and there's also children's beautiful storybooks that actually are, are um, based on beautiful artwork. Like you can get Christmas books that might tell the Christmas story. Each page is a is a work of classical art that's showing the thing that they're talking about. You know, the wise men came and the baby was in the manger and, you know, they, they had to flee to Egypt. And all those things are depicted with beautiful art. Just having those things around and creating... You've heard me probably say this already, but, you know, creating a rich environment. We don't have to curriculumize it. We don't have right. to do that. I don't, honestly don't think we have to do that for many things for most of their life. We just have to have it around. Yeah. And do
1: you think curriculumize... It can be harmful at this age. I would
0: say that would depend. So right. if you, uh, I, I mean, I don't think anything's going to be harmful. It might be boring. Right. Now, if your if your child is really interested in art, or it's a really well presented program, and you don't feel pressure to get it done by the end of the right. year or whatever, because the right. the you know if there's any harm done, it's that the parent feels pressure. right? Right. That, oh, this is the grade three art curriculum, therefore I have to get through it in grade three. I think think we can't think that way. God didn't design our brains that these are the works of art you must look at and understand when you're eight (laughs) you know our brains weren't developed that way if we can't if we don't feel any pressure then absolutely you know like this this spot the difference uh books you know that was something my daughter was six or seven and she's we saw them somewhere the first one we saw at a museum or something she thought was really cool so we bought it we ended up buying the whole series and doing them over a couple of years because it just was an exposure to beautiful art and different styles of art It was super fun. And every time we sat down to do dictation, the first thing we'd do is go through one of the one of the pages of the Spot the Difference books, right? That's just what you know what she was jazzed about at the time. Yeah, it was really interesting. And another thing we got we got a match ups game, you know, the game matchup where you're finding pairs. Right. It was classical art.
1: Oh, that's very cool. Match-up, yeah.
0: right? Now, you could do that with science topics and things like that. Kids love to play that game. We have one also that's all on um, things you see at mass. So it's a match-up game, and it has different vestments and the different vessels and the different things that you would see at mass as a match-up game, Right
1: just how they learn it right
0: that's how they learn it so there's no nothing's forced oh look you know there's a chasuble oh look there's another one you know and things like that that we can do this with the art you know just flipping over one tile and oh look that's a van gogh painting oh look there's it's the sunflowers i wonder where the other one is and so it's so natural to be learning in that way we just need to create that rich environment you know for science art music all of those things wow
1: that's really helpful and then I don't know if this is going to be an easy question to answer, but, you know, how many hours per day should you be even like, I guess I'm kind of, I find myself have this problem where it's not that I don't prepare enough, but I almost just get decision fatigue of what to do next. And so then I feel like the day is getting dragged out because I just haven't focused enough in terms of this is what we're doing now and then this is and I'm not. I guess my point is, yeah, with little right. ones, like how much time should you really be choose? Like, but there's so many beautiful things that you can be doing, right? And that's almost what stresses me out because it's, I feel like there's not enough time to get their attention mm-hmm. for all of these awesome ideas.
0: I'm glad you brought this up because this is a really important topic because I do think that we can get s- sort of, um, excited or overzealous or think you know I want to do it all and and we can do so much we can never do it all but we can do a lot I would say that what's really important we did an episode a few months ago on developing a routine and that might be one I don't know if you've listened to it but it's to me that's one of the most important things you can do and it doesn't have to be education if you know what I mean like if you want to say okay this is what do I want my day to look like, right? And you can revisit this every year, but in general, we sort of develop a bit of a pattern, and that's how most of us feel like we're accomplishing things, whether that's accomplishing housework or reading aloud to our children or making sure we get outside every day or whatever, that we have an opportunity to just kind of reflect on what, what kind of day do I want to have? Is it important that we all eat breakfast together? You know, that's what we did. That doesn't mean that's the most important thing. It means that that was a decision I made, and it was important to me. And then we did our sit-down work, and then uh, I would do a little bit of housework, and then uh, I would we would read together again at lunch. And that was I needed those big points. So I think that that's what's important is to sort of say, okay, when we get up in the morning, what do I want that to look like? Do I want to have my coffee on the couch with the kids all snuggled around me and read a story? Do I? You have to take into consideration your needs as well. Do I want to have, you know, ten minutes to myself before my husband leaves for work, you know, just to clear my head, so that I can approach this and be, you know, a happy mom? What is it that I need? Was it the kids' need? What kind of life do I want? Right? And those are often in the in the sort of you know. All the little details of thinking about homeschooling and all the little choices that we can make—we sometimes forget to make those really big points of the day. And kids really, uh, really benefit from kind of knowing what's happening that next. They like to know. So, say for example, you decide, okay, we want to we want to have breakfast together, and after breakfast we go for a walk. Yeah right? Or we do something active, you know, depending on, on the weather. So maybe we, we, uh, we all go out for a walk together, or we just go out in the yard and hang out together. Or uh, if the weather's not conducive, maybe we go down and do, uh, you know, get a tumble mat and, and go down and, you know, play tumble or play twister or something in the basement just to get a little bit of activity happening. And then I want to do sit down work with my six-year-old, and that's going to take 10 or 15 minutes. You know, I do five minutes of dictation, five, 10 minutes of math. That's all we do. And then we make a snack, right? And maybe they want to be there with you making the snack. Maybe that's when you turn your beautiful music on. Maybe they all wander around the house. Then you'll say, okay, in an, in an hour, it'll be, it'll be lunchtime, right? right? Okay, so... Then just let them play on their own or do whatever you want to do, but sort of decide on three or four points during the day, you know, what what is it we need? What do I want my life to look like? Right. Which is great. I think that's super important for us to to kind of make decisions because often we're being dragged through life. (laughs) Right. And I think what's important, too, is when do I do the housework? This is the time I'm going to focus on my kids. This is the time I'm going to focus on my housework. A job that at my phase of life is going to take 15 minutes is probably going to take you an hour, right? Because there's so many distractions. So, okay, I'm I'm going to need an hour to clean the kitchen. So when am I going to do that? Okay, I'm going to read to the kids. I'm going to, I always did my schoolwork and reading and all that first because my then my kids' tanks were kind of filled and getting the housework done was easier, you know, when the baby naps, what do we do? Do we, do I have a rest? Do I need to sit down with a cup of tea? Do I need to uh, put a quiet story on for the kids or something like that? You know, so I think it's really important to evaluate what you want your day to look like that meets both your needs and your kids' needs.
1: Great. That's very helpful. I think um, one other thing that is now seems to be shifting, I think probably shifts for everyone as they have more school age kids is that you're in the house more than you used to be. And so for me, I was, I've always been someone who thrives on big outings, you know, not necessarily with other people, like sometimes meeting up with another mom or another family, but, you know, going to the zoo or going to this like beautiful botanical gardens or, this old historic, you know, mansion um, nearby and spending three or four hours doing that and then coming home and, you know, they're all, like, little, so they're just crashing for a nap. But if I only, you know, am doing those things, which, you know, I find very fulfilling and, you know, they enjoy being out, I feel like there's no time for, you know, the actual, you know, literature, math, and um other things i guess
0: yeah well i mean it bears probably bears saying then too like if if I think when we look at our lives and we're doing that evaluation, you know, not only what do I want my day to look like? What do I want my week to look like? Do I want to make sure that I'm getting one or two big outings in what what would find what would you find fulfilling? What do you think you sort right. of your your children could manage? You know, would two big outings, maybe one's a nature outing, one's something else or whatever, two big outings so a week that, right. be fulfilling, right? and fill that need for you and, and uh, be an enjoyable thing for you to do with your kids. And, and then we do our, uh, our reading and our sit down right. work on the days we're not yeah, out. Cool. Right. So that might be really helpful in terms of your own evaluation about, you know, what do I want this to look like? Cause that's, you know, that's, it's, amazing that you brought that up because here's the thing. You could decide, okay, I'm going to use this curriculum every day. I need to spend 20 minutes a day doing X in all the busyness. You're doing the curriculum. It's taking X amount of time. You're dealing with all the little children and what they like to do. And you're not getting to those things that you recognize in yourself is a beautiful, fulfilling, wonderful thing. Field trips for kids are amazing. That's an amazing thing to do, whether it's the beach or something historic or a museum or whatever. It's such an amazing thing to do, but not everybody has the same capacity to do that, right? Right. We we were just talking about this because my kids got a lot more of that when I only had younger kids, like when I was a younger mom and my older, my youngest kids didn't get as much of that from me, more because energy and, you know, things that my team I had teenagers right. at the time and life was taken up with other things. And, you know, I mean, I think they had many beautiful experiences, but I didn't do as much of that. And it was just one of those things that, okay, this was a season. So if you, if you have a season uh, where you think, okay, that I, I actually don't need that right now. It's just okay. And that's why okay. evaluation is so vital that we're really, every summer we need to right. spend some time evaluating. What do I want this year to look like? Right? And so it's right. so important that this really good self-knowledge, that you know that about yourself. This is fulfilling for me. This is what I love. But am I getting the stuff done? Well, yeah. If you're staying home three days a week, you're absolutely getting the stuff done and accomplishing this beautiful right. um, thing that can't help but be a learning, a learning exercise, right?
1: Right. No, that's really helpful. You're right. It just kind of has to come. It's like every person in the family is so different. That's why homeschooling is different for everybody.
0: And and your husband too, you know, if there's, say, if he loves to do that sort of thing with you, depending on his schedule, then, you know, maybe he's only available on the weekends or the evenings and work it in so that you guys can be doing that together as a family, which is, you know, such a beautiful thing that dads can be learning alongside their kids, you know, with the activities that you choose and whatnot. You know, it's just such a gift, right?
1: Right. Yeah, that's really true. And then the other thing is, is that when they were little, I would often take them to mass a few times a week. But again, that's just something, nice. you know, um, not that you shouldn't prioritize that, but I'm trying to, I'm still trying to struggle. I'm struggling with how much to, because taking like three or four little ones to mass, I mean, I haven't done it with the that's new a challenge. one yet, because she's not here, <laughs> but I can imagine that's going to be even more of a huge effort than even three. Yeah. So it might not be a season for it at the time, but... I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to prioritize it or not, you know.
0: And if you feel it's important, then right. start with once a week, you know, and, and see what you do. And maybe it can be on the days when you're right. planning an outing anyway, yeah. right? Okay, the days we do our outings, right. we also start with Mass, right? I mean, that's a that's a beautiful gift because Mass, I had somebody email me the other day, message me the other day yeah. and saying, you know, I want to take my kids to Mass, but you know, I'm worried about it. Take kind of taking away from sort of education time. You know, do you think that it's educational? Could 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 there be things about masks that are educational? I mean there's history, there's language arts, there's talking on the way, all the religion talk that you do at mass and in the car on the way there and on the way back when you're talking about something that maybe happened at mass, there's a the beautiful art that you're looking at when you're at mass. You know, I mean, it's just the richest right. experience that we can give them. Right. And it's absolutely educational. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's a good reminder.
1: Right.
0: But for many of us, and this is maybe something where you have a, a bit of an advantage and, you know, mums that have, you know, so maybe more energetic to to get out and do things. When you're doing that, it, for a lot of us going to mass, it's the actual getting out the door, right? If if you like getting out and doing things and that's fulfilling right. for you, that might be a really beautiful addition to your right. life. And that just becomes your normal. The days we go out, we
1: start with mass, right? I yeah. Like that. Yeah, that's, that makes sense. Oh, good. <laughs> this is yeah this is great and then the other i guess um i know you've i've I've listened to your podcast on the new baby just any like refresh like final words of wisdom on you know the first technical year of homeschooling and then also throwing it onto all of this which you know who knows how that's gonna go right exactly
0: (laughs) so i would say number one thing be gentle with yourself right if Babies do right right now.
1: Uh, yeah, about three, two or three weeks. Yeah. Okay,
0: so best thing that you can do is be gentle with yourself and be gentle with your kids. Having a new baby in the house is an educational experience, in and of mm-hmm. itself. Right, the baby's toes, the baby's yeah. how, you know the, how the baby was born, how all of those things. I mean, there's just so much going on. I mean, you you you're a walking science project. Right? and they're asking questions, they can feel the baby move, they can, they're asking questions, right, and, you know, so what a beautiful way to explore science with them, if the only thing you did was read with them for the next few months, that would be okay, right, that would be okay, you don't need to jump into anything formal, don't feel any pressure to do that, because A, the very fact that you're open to life is a grace, it's a grace for your children, it's a grace for you, and, and God is not going to uh, to take that from you in the sense that your kids are going to be behind because you were open to life. <laughs> we had two yeah. crisis years in our, in our homeschooling. So, you know, we've been homeschooling for 31 years, right? A long time. Two of those years were full-blown right. crisis years where we didn't actually do any homeschooling for the entire year. You know, when I had babies, I would take, you know, Three, four, however long I needed off. Three, four weeks, three, four months. It doesn't matter, right? When I feel like, but we would read together. We'd sit on the couch and read right. together. If the baby was really fussy, then I would say my, to my husband, you know, you, these kids need to be read too. I, I just can't, I'm bouncing the baby all day long. So, you know, either you take the baby or I take the baby and, and you read to them. You know, so it's okay. It's just okay to do that. But our crisis years, nobody graduated late because we had two crisis years. It just didn't matter. Kids will learn in spite of you. Right. Yeah, especially if she's reading already. Right. My goodness, you know, you're, you're so ahead of the game. Yeah. Um, you know, not that early reading is not the be-all and end-all, but it it's helps if you're concerned as a mom, you know, like, oh, you know, am I behind? Well, no, you're not because right. your six-year-old can read, right? So, so right. Um, you know, that sort of takes a bit of yes, pressure off us for sure time. to, right. to kind of know, okay, well, they could do stuff on their own if they needed to. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you have anything more you want to ask right now? Because we could finish off with another question.
1: Um, wow. There's so many things I could ask you, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll stop for
0: now. Well, we'll be praying for you and your upcoming uh, birth and the health of your baby and everything. That's very exciting. I'm so glad you joined me today. Thank you so much. These were really, really good questions. Oh, thank you so much. This was wonderful. <laughs> oh, good. So okay. Well, God bless and have a wonderful week. All
1: right. Bye bye. Okay. Bye.